It's good to be here. You're listening to White Noise with Joe Papillardo and Chase Sabina. Today we are joined by a young professional, Shadrach Straley, who tweeted the other day, and I quote, Every time I tweet, I keep compulsively opening the app to get my serotonin hit from the likes. As the likes begin to dwindle, I start to crave the red circle with increasing intensity. So I must tweet. Shad, can you tell us the thought behind this tweet? Also, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing just fine, Joe. Thank you for uh, having me on the show. Same thing for you as well, Chase. Uh, the reason I sent that tweet out was because I was sitting there. I don't tweet very often, um, but when I do, it's good. Follow me at at Shad is rad. But uh, <laughs> the problem is... I like the plug. When you send out a tweet, you're, you have this extra impulse, right, to check the app that you didn't have before, right? If you were just using Twitter for news... You'd pull it out, you'd scroll through, look at your news, and kind of go back. But when you get that spark, you know, you're like, okay, time to tweet. And you tweet, there's this added level of incentive to look back at the app, correct? And when you yeah. open up that app, you see those red notification circles. And if you're anything like me, you find out who it was who gave you those notification circles so you know who your real friends are. And so you keep checking back, you keep getting those serotonin hits, you keep enjoying yourself in a way that you weren't previously. But slowly but surely, they go away. And as you take out your phone, you don't have any more likes. You don't have any more retweets. You don't have any more interaction. And you say, oh, man, I was having such a great day. I was really being validated by this app. And so you tweet again, because that's the only way that you can see and experience those quick serotonin hits from those red circles. So that's what I was thinking. Um, I know it's really... Uh, woke right now to criticize social media while being on social media <laughs> amen yes. so i'm uh i'm not saying that i'm you know what's the uh what's the phrase those guys who broke machines in uh in the industrial revolution lotite i'm not a lotite but i definitely think that there's something going on that well if we don't need to fix we at least need to be conscious of yeah and you use serotonin which is a um uh, I, I Googled it. Every time I Google serotonin now, your tweet comes up. So that's how much research I've been doing for this. Nice. Um, it, it's a, uh, it contributes to feelings of well-being and happiness. But I've also heard people use dopamine uh, when they're talking about addiction to social media. Is there a difference between those two? And what, you, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so essentially how uh, positive receptors work mentally, at least chemically. Um, serotonin and dopamine are for two separate experiences. Well-being and safety is something that you get out of serotonin. I'm not necessarily, it wasn't incredibly accurate by using serotonin. Dopamine probably would have been a more accurate thing to include in the tweet because that's what you, you get for. Tweets. I know, right? <laughs> you know, that's, that's the only thing that you experience. That's how you experience when you do something that's like physically gratifying, right? Mm -hmm. When you make a decision that your body tells you they want to do more of. Right. So you eat a thing that tastes good. You have a good night's sleep. You know, you exercise and your body is telling you, yeah, baby, keep it up. Now, the problem is, especially when it comes to addiction to something like social media, um, you see this as well uh, with any other form of addiction, alcohol, drugs, pornography. Your frontal lobe is the jurisdiction part of your brain that helps you make decisions in relation to those chemicals. So your frontal lobe helps you override something like dopamine, or if you know something's bad for you, but it still makes you feel good, your frontal lobe's job is to give you that little twinge of guilt 
that prevents you from doing it. Now, if you're sitting, you know, like if you're sitting in line at fast food, right? And you're like, okay, do I spend $8 or do I spend 12? And you have that little argument inside your head, you know, that conversation with yourself until you finally get up there and you're like, ah, screw it. I'm going with 12. That's your frontal lobe telling you, hey, man, that's not cool. Hey, man, don't grab that third cookie. Hey, man, you know, be careful. But as you continue to override it, as you push through, you know, as you consistently go for that $12, as you consistently go for that third cookie, it becomes very, very hard for your frontal lobe to put up a defense. And in brain scanning, they found that in a, people who are addicted to things, their frontal lobe is not nearly as active and in some cases shrinks. So with that in mind, when it comes to social media specifically, you're getting those dopamine hits. You're going out of your way to do something unhealthy, like spend an exorbitant amount of time on your phone to the point where your brain can no longer prevent you from doing those things. It's physically incapable of doing so. Mm -hmm. And Chase, uh, as someone who you're, you're, I guess, a social media influencer in some ways, you exploit these people. What are your thoughts on this situation? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think I, as someone who does this for a living, uh, I can testify that I have an addiction to those notifications. Um, and I think increasingly it's been something that I've become aware of as I've kind of taken a step back from posting as much as I used to. I find myself wanting to post just for the sake of saying, hey, I'm actually still doing something. I want those likes. It doesn't really matter what I'm posting. Um, you know, and I think, you know, Shad kind of explained it, but, uh, you know, there's a book called The Shallows by Nicholas Carr, and in it, he kind of talks about uh, the dopamine levels and how chemically our brains, uh, as technology becomes more and more prevalent in society, our brains start to really begin to crave uh, that dopamine. And so the amount of dopamine that could kind of get us going a couple of years ago, it takes more of that now. And so we're kind of, you know, he didn't say we were depleting our dopamine levels, but we're kind of exhausting them um, and we're straining our bodies. Um, and so I, I guess the way to kind of classify, going back to what Shad said, you know, dopamine tends to bring feelings of pleasure and provides a happiness boost with regards to a certain action. And serotonin tends to stabilize that. Um, and the way Nicholas Carr explains it in his book is that dopamine is that initial rush that you get when you post something. As those likes come in, though, you become accustomed to that. And the serotonin starts to kick in and it still brings euphoria and pleasure, but it kind of stabilizes your mood. And then after, you know, 10, 12 hours or however long your post lasts, you know, once it stops getting you know, likes and engagement, then the serotonin starts to deplete. Um, I, I think it's really interesting, the chemical side of things, but as someone who does this for a living and, you know, I'm paid based off of the likes that I get and impressions, it is definitely an amazing thing to see how it, you know, I am kind of a human test subject uh, yeah. on a more extreme level in that I definitely feel how it has rewired um, how I think and how I do things. Um, so much so, you know, like we talked about in the last episode, Joe, about how, you know, that having those apps on your phone that track how much time or limit how much time you're on those apps 
really come into play and are really, really important uh, to kind of keep us in check. And I think that's kind of been one of those big things for me uh, that I've been using to kind of keep me accountable and make me not so reliant on getting notifications or engagement. That's interesting because there's that extra level of not only are you getting this chemical hit from being actualized by you know, what you do on the internet, but it's also tied up in your career. So I'm sure that yeah. there's an entirely new standard to kind of being held on to that. That's crazy. Yeah. And it, it's hard to, it's hard to escape when, you know, it's one of the things I've tried to do is I've tried to say, Hey, I'm going to check Instagram for an hour a day and limit myself to that. So I get through my hour a day. I work with different clients, get that all taken care of and I'm set for the day. And I get, a call from work at 6, 7 p.m. at night and they say, hey, we need you to go check on something or we need you to do something extra. And I have to go through, and what's great is I have to consciously go through and avoid the notification that says, you spent your hour on Instagram today, do you wanna override this, right? And it gives me this really weird feeling of like, I, it really does begin to feel like a chore. I don't wanna have to override that command uh, and in some cases with some apps, it actually logs you out. So you're not quickly checking it. Uh, and I think that that's really interesting, kind of the chemical reaction that goes on in your head when you have to go through that as you're trying to retrain yourself, because it's just so instinctive and just neurological, you know, everything's firing within a second. Um, and I think that there was a study done um, that amongst people who are just kind of sitting around on their phones, uh, not actually doing something, if they get a notification, they are checking their phone within it's less than one second between wow. the time they buzz and the time they pick up their phone. And that, that mm -hmm. reaction time is incredible to me. I mean, I guess those people have good eye-hand coordination, huh? <laughs> and the, the interesting thing about that too, especially when we're talking about the science of addiction, is that social media, you know, when you're addicted to something, right, you have to enjoy it in larger and larger quantities to experience something in the same way that you did when you experienced it initially, like drinking more beers, taking more heroin, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. The thing, about, yeah. the thing about social media, though, is you're able to see rewards based on the amount of time that you put into it. The more that you post, especially if you're good at it, the more followers that you gain, the more interactions there are on your post. And the more of an impact you perceive yourself having. So as your addiction becomes more and more powerful, as you have this chemical relationship with your device, you slowly but surely are being fed more and more as you work through it, which I think kind of adds a whole nother spooky dimension to it, right? Right. And I mean, there, there was a really cool uh, article put out by uh, Harvard it, sometime last year, and I, I pulled it up here. Uh, and the article opens with, I feel tremendous guilt, oh, admitted <clears throat> the professor of user growth of, at Facebook uh, to an audience of Harvard students. He was responding to a question about his involvement in exploiting consumer behavior. And he said, the short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we have created are destroying how our brains work. Just like a computer, it's causing us to crash. And then it continues, if you've ever misplaced your phone, you may have experienced a mild state of panic until it's been found. And about 93% of adults claim to have experienced this unique favor, flavor of anxiety. This anxiety then leads to depression when the dopamine is no longer triggering your brain. 
So I think that's really interesting in that we've kind of gotten to a point where if we're without our phone, right, and we're not getting that constant engagement or pings or likes or whatever it is, we start to become depressed. And it's amazing, you know, obviously, that's an incredibly slippery slope. And I kind of think about all those kids who are kind of being raised now who are between the ages of probably like five and seven, who Mm -hmm. are even who are on our phones even more than we as you know 20 to 25 year olds are these kids are constantly on their parents phones and ipads and it kind of makes you think what's next for them what what new symptoms of, of anxiety and depression are they going to have because they've been around technology for a much longer period of time than we have absolutely and uh, even for me like i mean the the the, the whole uh linchpin of this podcast is that I'm weird and don't understand why we behave the way we do because I just had a weird upbringing. Whoa, and so, whoa, whoa, whoa. How weird can you be when you use the word linchpin, man? That means you're I, a real mover and shaker. <laughs> well, it's just like like I'm watching everyone. I, I remember growing up, I would always be like the last kid to get like the iPod or the cell phone. So I would watch how everyone else used it before I got it. And yeah, that, that was going to ask. How, how old were you guys when you got your first pieces of technology? Oh, I was in 16, I think, when I got a, like an actual modern piece. I had an iPod 2. I got it off a guy in a locker room. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I, I was using you know most tech like computers and stuff for a very, very long time. But my first smartphone, I think I got when I was in sophomore year of high school. So it's relatively Same, new for yeah. me, at least. Yeah, I, I was probably 15, 16. And mm-hmm. it was like, it was amazing because I grew up in a place where there were just so many kids who i mean obviously you know when we were younger probably eight through 12 right we didn't really have that at our disposal and our parents kind of didn't either for the most part um but i remember being like 13 um and this girl she was the first one in our class to get uh a smartphone and just how in shock everyone was and wanted one themselves Mm. and how quickly kids just started it was never a thought beforehand because at least where i grew up it it was very much like if you go over to a friend's house to hang out you you can maybe go on the family computer for a bit but it wasn't really this idea of hey we're going to be on technology it was either you had options to go outside Mm -hmm. and or you could watch cartoons or something right youtube wasn't as widely available really facebook was kind of just beginning to come about and a lot, you know, and I, I'm younger than you guys probably by what, two years. So there is a little bit of a gap there, but, um, it, it is crazy how, uh, how little people were kind of, at least my age at the time, were really using any form of technology outside of just watching their Saturday morning cartoons. Well, in addition to that, a lot of it was social, right? But it was yeah. close and proximity wise, wise social. So, you know, if you're playing Super Smash Brothers Melee on your GameCube, with you and your school friends, right? You're having this shared memory, this interaction. If you're watching Homestar Runner on your parents' computer with your brothers and your sisters, you know, that's a totally different experience than having that experience to yourself in a corner on a screen just for you, right? Yeah. So it's a different story. Yeah, I, you know, kind of looking at it from a slightly different perspective and both of you can weigh in here, uh, there, there was another article done by, I think it was Advertising Weekly or whatever it was. And one of the questions that they asked is kind of about that social media addiction. 
Um, and the title of the article was something like marketing's ethical line between social media and addiction. Kind of instead of coming at it from the consumer standpoint, uh, what are your guys' thoughts about like, do you, do you guys think advertisers and how they advertise are really drawing us in? Like for instance, I noticed on Twitter recently, something I never noticed before that in my notifications, they are starting to A, show a couple of little ads every once in a while, but also give you trending news and things that are happening in the moment. And so it gives you an extra notification, even if you're not tweeting. And I think, you know, that in a way, that's a way for, you know, Twitter to get more viewership and people to look at their ads more and all that. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Do you think, do you think that marketers or brands have kind of crossed an ethical line as far as kind of forcing people to be on their phone and kind of oversaturating them with content. Um, I'll go first here, Shay. I'm going to dive in because I just realized like there's um, like back when the radio was a thing, we had the radio, you could have an ad on the radio, but you could turn your radio on and off. And if your radio is off, you don't hear any advertisements. Right. But right. if you, uh, but now we've, we have put that in our pocket. So in a sense, I think by buying the phone, and downloading the apps, you have consented to it in their eyes, right? You've consented to this advertising because you you have the device that they're advertising through. I don't know. I'm, I'm not making sense here, but I, but I feel like the advertisers, it's assumed because you have the phone and you've downloaded those apps and you're checking all these boxes on legal agreements you're not reading, we're consenting to it without realizing it. Yeah, partially. I, I think that the big thing is, um, you know, there's always a race for monetization, in every form of media, right? I mean, right now, the the big landscape for monetization is podcasting, right? People don't know how to make it um, work for them as well as they can make something like radio, TV, or social media work for them. If there's a if there is a place you can go to sell advertisement, people are going to do it. I mean, Netflix has recently, you know, decided to go into the advertisement field despite you know us paying for our subscriptions to watch their content. So, you know, while we're sitting here enjoying this content like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, at its ground level, before it's monetized, before we're entirely sure how people are going to be able to make money off of it, we've inoculated ourselves to trust it, right? To see it as a non-commercial space. And so I think that's why it can kind of be jarring, scary, and potentially super influential when all of a sudden people are like, we know how to monetize it and we're doing it exceptionally aggressively right to where promoted content is making up sometimes a majority of your feed which is actually terrifying but since we've sort of been tricked into thinking that these aren't commercial products in the way that they were not initially we are much more accepting of it it's slowly been rolling out as people have discovered proper ways to make money off of something like facebook twitter or instagram yeah. Yeah. And you know what's crazy is um there's a very dated article from CBS uh and they did a study uh and they say that the average adult went from seeing about 500 ads a day back in the 70s up to an average of around 2300 ads a day today. And that was in wow. 2006. So I mean, how many more do you think we're seeing now with you know, Instagram putting ads right onto your feed and all of that, you're probably seeing double that, maybe even more. And I think that that's crazy. Well, you know, advertisements, biggest power 
is in top of the mind, right? You know, you're not going to see an advertisement and say, oh, now that I've seen this advertisement, I want to buy this washer dryer. It's more like you're at your house, your washer dryer breaks, and the first thing that comes to your mind is what you've seen the most ads for. And when we, we mix, you know, our social and our news updates with our advertisement updates, you know, we're seeing these names so consistently that that's the first thing that pops into your head. I mean, when I think I need a razor, I think back to every podcast I've ever listened to. And I'm like, ah, Dollar Shave Club, right? Just instantaneously, right? And I don't know if you guys are advertising with Dollar Shave Club, so I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we will. We don't know. Dollar Shave Club we'll wants to hit us up. Uh, we're open. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's just that's where the power of it lies, um, especially for media like social media and uh, radio specifically, to where it's not the power of the ad to shake you and move you to acquiring something it's so that when you have that need it's just the first thing that you think of yeah. and when we're constantly on our phones that means usually when we have an issue that thing's going to be right in front of us it's going to be on our phone you're probably going to be scrolling through waiting for your clothes to dry when your washer dryer breaks especially when you google something like i googled uh this is hilarious i, I decided not to buy it, but i was looking up protein powder because i'm skinny as heck and immediately in my Facebook feed, after I switched windows, I saw protein powder ads. Like it's so direct now, it's creepy. And I just looked up a stat. Uh, it says Yankelovich Incorporated reports that you see 5,000 ads per day now. So we're up to 5,000 a day. Um, yeah, and you know what's crazy is one of, one of my favorite examples of advertising. Uh, and <clears throat> I, I will make one note. I'm playing devil's advocate here. I'm the one who my job is to put these ads out and produce them. Uh, yeah. So clicking on my ads, I need to get paid. Um, <laughs> but one of my favorite examples of advertising that blew my mind was I was in Vienna, Austria last summer. And there's this beautiful, beautiful church. It's called the Votive Church, right, in central Vienna. And I walked by it from the back and just looked like any massive cathedral. Um, you walk around front, though, there's probably a 40-foot high, 40-foot wide ad dangling right in front of the entrance of the church. And at the time, it was for a car company, and I saw a post for it today on the Vienna Tourism Board website. They have a big, big ad out front for, I think it's Samsung, um, in front of this absolutely stunning cathedral. And it, you know, it was built in, I think, the 1500s, right? And it's just kind of this contrast between the old and the new, how they're monetizing right out in front of this church, dangling it off of the steeples. Uh, and I, th I think that was just like a really, it was a really crazy image to see that like most places, you know, you would never see that in the US or, you know, most places in the UK. But mm -hmm. Europe, I've, I've seen, I've seen that in different places. They've really kind of, monetize these tourist traps and i think that's really really crazy yeah that's it's insane um we're gonna take a short break right now but when we come back we'll be discussing casey neistat and hopefully everyone deleting their social media until then it's good to be here speaking of pillow talk chase what kind of mattress are you sleeping on these days i'm glad you asked joe right now i'm sleeping on a lull mattress right now as we record Lowell is a revolutionary new mattress company that ships their mattresses direct to you in as little as two nights, so you're not losing any sleep on your old mattress. That's crazy, and I've heard they use their own blend of premium foam designed with just the right amount of bounce back in mind. 
There's even a one and a half inch transition layer that responds and supports your body. So you don't get a sinking feeling or a trampoline like experience. I do like trampolines, but not on my bed. But what's crazy is Lola's offering a hundred night trial to our listeners. Don't like the mattress? Return it and Lola's going to fully refund the cost of your mattress as well as cover all shipping and handling. Better yet, I've heard they're even backed by a 10 year warranty. Yeah, that's crazy. And Lola knows that their mattress will provide you with years of comfortable and restful sleep because their mattresses have been subjected to years of rigorous independent testing. To top it all off, they're even offering $250 off any mattress purchase to our listeners, you guys. All you have to do is visit lull.com slash shop and use the code white noise at checkout. Again, that's lull.com slash shop and use the code white noise for $250 off your order of a lull mattress. So we got this uh, thing on our hands. Um, Casey Neistat posted a video the other day and the, the title of it was I'm deleting social media or something of that nature. And I watched the video and he didn't actually delete his social media, but he did remove the apps from his phones, which is something that I've heard on a couple other videos, um, including this uh, Joe Rogan, for instance, had this guy on and he only had a flip phone. Uh, he didn't have the smartphone, but he still had social media back at home. So is this an effective way to deal with the addiction? Just keeping it on your desktop computer? What do you guys think? I, uh, well, first off, when it comes to Casey Neistat doing this, it's it kind of, you know, this is kind of a weird equivalence to make, but it seems like, like almost like a white privilege thing where this is a man who is entirely sustained off of social media, right? <laughs> he, he's, you know, a, a featured content creator on YouTube. He's pushed by every single social media company actively right to promote his content because he's monetizable because he's safe because he's something easy to use right for their monetary goals and so it just seems like so not like it's so ungenuine right because he's not reducing his because that's where he makes his money he's mm-hmm. an influencer that's it right and by reducing his social media presence quote unquote all he's doing is just posturing, right? There's no actual impact on his lifestyle and what he does because he's financed entirely through the very thing that he's pretending to not be a part of. But I'm sorry. I I, I, know I have a lot of Casey Neistat baggage that I felt like I had to just Just dump know, that out let here. Go. Just, just let it Thank out. Thank you for everything. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah I, mean, I, think, I think looking, yeah, I think looking at it from, you know, the obvious thing right here is kind of how the YouTube algorithm runs, and that is clickbait. You know, clickbait is fantastic for advertisers to make someone monetizable. I mean, looking at that goodbye social media, right? 1.3 million views in 24 hours. That's amazing, right? For an advertiser, they're getting tremendous exposure. And, you know, I know clients who have, you know, they're monetizing on Casey Neistat videos, David Dobrik videos, all of those. Uh, and they're getting a great return on their investment with their, uh, with their advertisements. Um, I think from the perspective of, you know, he lists that he's just going to remove them from both of his work phones. Uh, and then he's only going to check when he goes home, right? And one, one flaw that I found in his whole thing was he said, I'm only going to post to Instagram and Twitter when I am at home, right? On my computer. Well, you can't post on Instagram from your computer now, can you? And one thing that's going to be interesting to see is 
looking at his tweets in the future and seeing where they were posted from to see if he upholds that. Because I, I highly expect that in a week it's going to say posted from Twitter from iPhone. Um, <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite examples of that is all these people who do ads for like Samsung or Hawaii or anything like that, right? And someone went back in these celebrities' ads and they were posting about a Samsung phone, right, and tweeting about it. And then they were going and tweeting and it would say posted at Twitter from iPhone. So they were posting <laughs> the competitor's product directly through their own. So I think we're going to see some of that from, uh, from Casey Neistat in the next few days, weeks. Yeah, I will say on Instagram, it seems uh, like he had, he's only posted twice uh, since the, the year started, it looks like. I think twice. Okay, no, I take that back. But he posted he posted in January 31st, and then he posted again on February 28th. So he doesn't seem to be uh, using the platform very often right now. So it'll be fun to keep tabs on that, see if he uses his phone. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, I just, frankly, I have a hard time believing it coming from him. You know, maybe somebody else, maybe somebody willing to put their, uh, in, their actual content creation um, job at risk by doing that. But from him, I don't really believe... Uh, from such a privileged position, Casey Neistat can be a good example. Well, I mean, you can take it from the perspective of he's produced, you know, some more shorthand content that's off of YouTube or for other mm-hmm. YouTubers or for other clients, right? So in theory, he could take a step back and say, okay, I'm only going to work on creating content for clients, right? And he could keep himself fully off social media i don't see it you know i agree with you i don't see it happening because i know for myself i can't go more than probably six hours without checking up on my social media because again like you said shed that is how he makes his money that's how a lot of people make their money and if you're not keeping up with it i mean i know that uh yesterday so let's let's go back to this uh instagram and facebook went down yeah, uh, I get a call in the morning from my agent and she says, hey, we have two issues. One, your Instagram was hacked. Two, Instagram is now down, so we can't get it back for you. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, in a series of unfortunate events uh, for both of us, uh, you know, I tweeted yesterday, I said, uh, just found out my Instagram was hacked, something along those lines. Jokes on the hacker. Neither of us can use the account now. Um, <laughs> but you know, my my agent emails me late last night, right before Instagram goes back up, and she she had called me in the morning to let me know, and I was just like, oh, whatever, we'll take care of it later. Um, and the end of her email, she says, "Hey, Chase, your Instagram is still hacked, and Instagram is still down. I know you don't care that much, but if you could start caring a little bit more, that would be great. You have to get paid this week." And so oh, it was just funny because she was just like even if i want to stay off of it i have so many outside sources saying get back on there do your job uh it's, it's just it's a crazy world to kind of get yourself sucked into and it's not just you know again back to the addiction kind of stepping away from the whole business standpoint of just the common common person i mean twitter was just flooded yesterday with everyone who was taking up all of the time they would spend on Instagram, tweeting about how they weren't on Instagram. And that was just hilarious to me. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. And also, uh, just an update, Casey has posted seven times since the year started. Don't want to get my facts wrong. But even then, seven times, we've had like two and a half months now, 
and he still thinks he's, he's addicted to it. I mean, some people may only be posting like once every couple of days, you know, I know everyone likes posting daily, but, uh, and they still think they're addicted to it. And I find that interesting too. Um, but do you want to pivot to this, this New York times article we have here with John Herman, uh, sure. talking about, he's talking about how tiny dot red dots took over your life. Shad brought this up to us. And it's a piece, it's mainly talking about the notification symbol that's bringing everyone back into these apps over and over and over, uh, like, Kate and, like Casey talked about with social media addiction um, and how they were developed. And Shad, do you want to talk about why you brought that up? Sure, yeah. I read this article a few months ago and it really, um, it made me think a lot about my relationship to my phone specifically because there's a couple of really clairvoyant paragraphs in there. And I think my favorite one is... These badges, as they're called in the industry, the little red dots that appear at the corner of your apps when you have notifications, can mean absolutely anything, right? They're indiscriminatory about what exactly they consider a red dot notification, right? It can be, you know, for Twitter now, they're letting you know when other people tweet, right? You're getting notifications, which you can turn those off, of course, but you can get notifications for, you know, um, Brie Larson tweeted about Captain Marvel, and you're like, oh, okay. Well, thank you for informing of that. So that red dot over your Twitter app icon can either mean Brie Larson tweeted about being Captain Marvel or you have a very important business-related DM that you need to check right now or you have a very important message from a family member you have not communicated with right now, right? It can just as likely be something insignificant, stupid, and transitory as it can be something incredibly important. So you feel compelled to check it regardless, right? Also, as far as the psychology of red goes, it's a very uh, dangerous color for a lot of reasons. It makes you think about speed. It makes you hungry. It makes you agitated, right? It's something that we've inherited from the animal kingdom. And because of that, when you look at that red, if, those, if you have a lot of notifications and it gets larger and larger, the more digits you have, Right. With notifications, once you hit a thousand, it gets wider. When you hit a hundred thousand, it gets even wider. Right. It's seen as this constant burning threat just sitting on your phone. And all you got to do is open the app to fix it. Right. And it might be something as simple as Brie Larson tweeting about Captain Marvel or it could be something much worse. So you have this Schrodinger's cat, if you will, of, ah, you know, should I check this? I don't like the color. Ah, it's making me uncomfortable to the point where you just feel compelled to check all these red dots. And so uh, the article kind of goes into depth about how people are suggesting that they don't use them as often. They're trying to reduce the amount of usage, but it seems like a fact of life that we've kind of put ourselves into at this point. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the thousand and the hundred thousand, which I hope you've never reached, but uh, <laughs> there are two types. I'm not of nearly people. that popular. Not yet, but there's two types of people yeah. where they are, uh, they're either obsessed with getting that to zero, which I'm one of them. Like I leave no emails unread in my inbox. I hate unread emails, uh, but there are people who will let it grow and they're seen as insane by the people who want to get rid of all the notifications. Are either of you guys the kind of person who can let like a hundred emails or notifications on Facebook build up? I think part of the reason why, uh, Oh, sorry. Um, oh no, go ahead, son. Okay. Yeah. No, I think one of the reasons why that impacts me so much that article at least is because I can't, I can't let one go. I cannot have a notification <laughs> on any of my apps. And maybe that's something that I can get because I can do because I'm not famous. You know, <laughs> people don't care. Um, but 
I'm just constantly worried. Like I can't let, you know, same with you cannot let an email be unread, cannot check a notification. It's constant, but Chase, what about you? You, you know, you've been in the business. Uh, you know, I just, I just pulled up my phone to see, uh, and I, I think I might be a psychopath compared to you guys right now. I've got 286 missed calls, 39 <laughs> text messages, and 796 unread emails. Oh my gosh. So, Jeez. Uh, uh, I'm sure that, that it's triggering your guys' OCD. <laughs> <laughs> I'm twitching. <laughs> At a certain point, at a certain point, you just got to let them kind of roll in. Like you can't even control it anymore. You're like, oh, I'm too busy. But exactly, us, uh, it's just a tsunami. Us on the ground floor. Yeah, us on the ground floor. It's it's the only thrill we have is opening those little notifications that we get. Yeah, mm, that's interesting, Shad. You're you're saying so the peasants have this addiction. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> is there a is there a hierarchy where as you go through the social hierarchy and you elevate yourself, you, do you become less addicted to social media? No, I don't know about that, but you definitely something like the red dots are probably not nearly as impactful. Like, you know, if you look online, there's videos of, you know, major Instagram influencers, people who've been on The Bachelor and stuff, and they put their phone on the table after they put they turn all their notifications on, they post something on Instagram and they put their phone on the table, right? And it's just a recording of the phone and you know, just notification after notification. You know, it sounds like the, the table's rattling, like there's a beehive on top of it. You know, you're just seeing constant streams of information. At some point, you become a nerd to it, right? It's just like slowly, it's like the, you know, it's like a frog in boiling water, where if it boils slowly, the frog doesn't realize that they're in boiling water. At some point, it's just so much a part of the landscape that it's not constantly drawing you in. Of course, you're addicted in another way because you kind of have to be that, to be that famous or that influential. Hmm. And Chase, how do you feel about that? You know, I think I think the number one thing that I've noticed uh, about social is it's really it is when when you do it for a living, uh, it is manageable if you let it. You know, I have a team behind me. You know, back at my home office in Boston at my agency, I've got probably five people who could be checking up on my emails on my social accounts, whatever it is, and and answering a lot of stuff for me, right? And I've kind of taken a hands-on approach where I say, hey, I want you guys to step back and I want to make this as authentic as possible. I want it to be coming from me, right? And so I've kind of let myself become inundated with all of those notifications and messages and all that. So, you know, to to some people, it's like, well, I guess that just kind of comes with the and I, I'm, not, I'm not on any Casey Neistat level. Right. I, you can't expect him to read every comment or every DM. Right. I don't read every DM if I don't want to. Right. But it's there. There are ways to manage it and manage the consumption in a really uh, effective way. And, you know, kind of going back to that Casey Neistat example him deleting, you know, his accounts off of his phones, comparatively, that's not an effective way to manage that addiction, in my opinion. It's kind of just like a cop-out. And again, the video is clickbait. We'll see if yeah. you actually follow through with it. Uh, but it's, that's not the effective way to handle it. It's to, uh, and, and I, I'm not going to necessarily go through and, you know, give solutions because I don't necessarily know how to fix it for every person, every person, you know, no matter how big or how small has their own life and how they can manage uh, their social accounts and their social world. Uh, but 
it is interesting in that, um, you know, I look at it from my perspective and I've chosen to kind of let this happen. Uh, you know, I can pick up calls. I can answer texts. It's just a deliberate choice not to. Uh, and, um, you know, that, that's coming from me who I'm, I'm pretty orderly. Like my apartment and all is always clean. My dishes are always done right after I eat. So it doesn't necessarily reflect a carelessness. I think it just reflects, uh, maybe I've gotten so burnt out with it that I've gotten mm-hmm. to a point where I have to step back from it and just say, yeah, it's going to happen. I'm done. You know, I'll do what I can when I want to. A bit of a, bit of I, a think, I think that's here. taking it. Yeah. A little bit weird flex, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shad, I we're we're coming close to the end here, and we gotta ask yeah. you if you could delete any of your social media accounts, which one would you choose? Um, I would say that uh, at the college that I'm currently attending, I will be graduating soon. Um, we have this weird hang up with being on Facebook as a way to socially interact with people and schedule events and stay in touch. I'd be more than happy to get rid of that if I could. Um, for Lent, I gave up all of my social media. So, you know, kind of going for a while without that constant buzz. I mean, if I could get rid of it all, I would. But the problem is, is as a young professional, <laughs> as I was introduced at the start of this, um, you got to, you got to, you know, you got to form a brand of some sort, right? It doesn't, employers want to see that you're uh, active, especially if you want to work in media and you're willing to put yourself out there. So, I have to stay, I have to keep Twitter. You know, I deleted the app off of my phone actually a long time ago. Oh, really? I only use it in the, I, I, I only, uh, I only ever use social in the browser. Cause okay. that extra. Okay. Casey, nice stuff. Oh my oh, gosh. No. He's a purist. <laughs> I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying like that extra step of having to search it in my search bar on Safari adds a whole nother kind of just stop point there. Right. It's not as easy as me opening up my phone, clicking it real quick and, and scrolling through. So, I have tried to reduce it. You know, I'm not to the point where I'm grayscaling my phone and, you know, only keeping call and messenger on there. But I think that you can make small incremental changes that will improve your quality of life. You know, I've just noticed, you know, and another thing that I try to do, and I think more people should too, is if you're in a gathering of people, just make a conscious decision not to look at your phone, right? Like even something as simple as being like, okay, for the next X amount of time, I'm not going to use it as a time waster, right? And so whenever I'm in a group of people, if I'm sitting around like, you know, a table having a couple of beers or something, I just don't do it. Just consciously make that decision. I know that's kind of difficult, especially if you have an addiction, but just those little incremental changes can, you know, make human interactions and uh, the addictive tendencies a little less powerful. No, absolutely. And I mean, Again, all of this, everyone's giving me little baby steps that I can take to throwing all my phones and laptops into the river and like never touching them again. (laughs) Like we're all going to be off. Someday we're all going to be like in these offline and online communities. And I hope we're all in the offline community, even Chase. (laughs) A Benedict option. The Benedict uh... option. Well, I'll, I'll, I've still got to put some ads out, so I don't think I can quite go cold turkey. Chase will be hiding in the corner of the commune. I'll, I'll be able to take photos of it and post it on social media. So that's going to be great. <laughs> well, there we go. You can't have a good commune without a social media presence. Okay, Exactly. Yeah, who's going to manage the account? <laughs> real quick. You got to know that we're a little bit wonky. My, my brother is a, he's a marketer with a, some, with a focus on social media. And he was looking for jobs. 
and he, he just pulled this one up for a, a Michigan-based steel company. They literally they make steel for manufacturing purposes. Their only mm-hmm. clientele are clientele that have existed for almost a hundred years. And they're like, we need somebody to manage our social media. What? What, what um, kind of impact? Oh, go off, King. You could make. You could I become know, a meme. I know exactly who you're talking about. I actually had a phone call with that company, and I asked them. I said. So what, what's your social strategy look like? What are you currently doing? What are you looking to achieve? Just dead silent on the phone. And they were just like, we don't really know how we would make social media work. But, you we know, we can have try. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and the same thing. There was, there's a uh, appliance company out here. They make the hardware for like drawers and doorknobs and all that. And they, they got me on a call for consulting. And I said, okay, so, you know, how much are you currently spending on ads? And they told me some number that was around six figures a year, um, upper six figures. And then I asked them, how much are you spending on creative for the ads? And they said last year they spent around $10,000. So proportionally, they're doing like one or two, you know, content shoots a year and then just dumping hundreds of thousands of dollars into the same images over and over. Just crazy. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, that that was a be- that we should have talked about that earlier, honestly. Um, but but Shad, have me on again. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Yeah, no, Shad, you, <laughs> yeah. Need, you need to come back. You need to come back after Lent. So w- this is obviously going out in May. You're listening to this in May or or later, probably years in the future. But this we're recording this in March right now. But Shad, after Lent, you need to come back and talk to us about your experience in the de- the desert that is not social media. So Sounds tell good. us how many notifications you had waiting for you. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> so Shad, thank you so much for coming on again. Of course. Thank and you. T- Chase, I, I wish we could do this in person someday, but thank you for calling in. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for coming, Shad. Oh, it's good to be here. And and as as everyone else knows, uh, you can find us on Buzzsprout, uh, iTunes, Spotify, and of course follow us at White Noise Guy on Facebook and Twitter. You've been listening to White Noise. It's good to be here. So Chase, I've been trying to start my own podcast, and when I was getting this thing off the ground, I had a lot of questions like, how do I record an episode, and how, what kind of apps do I even put my show on for people to listen, and finally, can I even make money off this thing? Yeah, those are great questions, Joe, and the answer to every one of those questions is actually crazy simple, thanks to Anchor. Anchor's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, Joe, it's 100% free and crazy easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to do your podcast right away, just like Anchor's advertising on our podcast. So, Joe, if you've wanted to make money and start a podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash white noise to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash white noise. Can't wait to hear your podcast.